0: Well, as we close out Built Different, we've been learning how to get stronger from the inside out. And the goal of this series has, that, has been that when life comes at you with things that would knock a normal person down, you would be able to stand strong. You'd be able to stand strong because you know your calling. You know the assignment that God has given you. That, that when life is chaotic that you would be able to still have peace in your soul because you've built a strong soul, because you've trained for this, that when the winds of life are trying to push against you and blow you a certain direction, that you would know how to direct your life with your words. You know that you're the captain of your ship, that you can steer your life. And we've been looking at these different things as we close it out today. I want to do it with a bit of a warning, because I don't just want you to start strong, I want you to finish well. And in order to do that, I'm gonna teach you how to cultivate consistency in your life, because we need to learn to look out for the things that sabotage our soul. We can know the right things to do and yet not do them because we, we fail to follow through. And we've been looking at the Psalms primarily. We've looked at some Proverbs. We've looked at some instruction in the New Testament. Today, as we wrap up this series, I want to do it by looking at a story in the Old Testament. I don't know about you, sometimes I learn better with an example, not an explanation. That's what the Old Testament does for us. We get these stories of the lives of individuals and they help us understand how we can follow God and how we can live for God and how these truths apply to our life. And the message I'm going to share with you today, it actually started uh, with some thoughts I shared at Yoko. Yoko is our gathering of young adults, call it Young Community. And it's uh, for people 18 to 30. In fact, it's tonight. I'm going to be there. If, you're, if that's, that's your generation, you need to be there. I, I want to hang out with you. It's a great time. But I, I was sharing some thoughts with them uh, a few months ago. And when I shared this with them, I, I knew that, that God wanted to use it in a message. It was not just uh, something for, for that night. It, w- it was something that all of us can, can use. And what's funny about this is, aside from sharing some thoughts about it, I've never preached a sermon on this text until this weekend. And that's a shame because the passage we're going to look at, is what I would call my life verse. How many of you have a life verse? Do you know what I mean when I say that? Great, it's like 10 of us have a life verse. rest of you get a life verse. Not get a life, but get a life verse. Uh, What what is a a life verse? Really, it's just like it's that passage in scripture that you keep coming back to. Maybe it would be like a a guiding principle in your life. In our group last week, the, the group I'm in, you know, we encourage you to get in groups and Groups are where you can, you know, connect with other people and dig deeper into the sermon. Well, I'm in a group just like I want you to be in a group. We were in, in our group last week and, and we were discussing the sermon. And last week how we talked about our words direct our life. One of the things that came out in our discussion is that all of us need a phrase to fight with. All of us need a verse for victory. does that mean? Like, like you might not know all of the Bible, but you need to know a verse You need to know a verse that you can go to when times are hard. You need to know a verse that you can turn to, to be a source of strength in your life. A a phrase you can fight with and a a verse for your victory. Well, that's kind of what I mean by a life verse. Like this verse that it brings you comfort in chaotic times. A verse that builds your faith when things are difficult. A verse that centers your hope, that clarifies your purpose. Verse that is personal to you. Well, this passage that we're going to look at today, this has been my life verse for as long as I can remember. It's not really a well-known verse. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. And this is what it says. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal To him. I can remember coming across this verse at a young age and being amazed and astounded that God is actively looking, actively searching for some people that He can show Himself strong in, for some people that He can display His strength in their life, for some people that He can demonstrate His glory in their life. And simultaneously, at the same time, I was surprised that the bar is so low. You know, like it doesn't say that God is looking for people with all the right gift mix, all the right skill sets, all the right talents and abilities, that, that God is looking for the person that's got the right family and comes from a good background and has the right connections. God is looking for the person that lives a perfect life, that has never messed up, that, that's past is clean. No, it says God is looking for somebody who's got a loyal heart. Man, that seems like something I can do. That if I can just have a loyal heart to God, God wants to demonstrate his power in my life and his strength in my life. And even at a young age, even though I wasn't even thinking about ministry at the time or called to ministry, I just knew that I wanted to be a person that God could use to demonstrate His strength, that sounded like a good thing to me. And it seems kind of extreme uh, on one hand, because what was funny, I, I knew this verse, I've looked at this verse, I've been comforted by this verse, and yet for the longest time, I really knew nothing about the context that this verse was in. I don't recommend that. But I mean, I read the story, but I didn't understand like all of the details of, of what was happening. So earlier this year, you know, I was just digging into what was going on here. Because what's funny about this verse, I, I read it to you. It says, "For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him." But the person that this promise is given to, the person that this these words are being spoken to, didn't do that. <laughs> it's actually a rebuke. Like the the person who is hearing this failed to follow through in, in the process because the very next sentence says, in this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. It's not very encouraging, that's why I left it out. But that's, that's the verse. And, and maybe some of us feel that way. It's like, okay, I, I know God wants to use me. I know God has plans for my life. But, you know, there are some things I have messed up and some things I have done foolishly. God wanted to showcase his strength and the person in this case, we're going to learn about in a minute, his name is Asa, he's king of Israel. He wanted to showcase his strength in Asa, but because Asa made some mistakes, he made some foolish choices, now his life is going to be in turmoil. His life is going to be marked by by battles and fights and, and wars. It's going to cost him his peace. It's going to cost him his Prosperity and it, it, it does seem like you've got these extremes here because on one hand the faithful, loyal heart experiences God's power and strength, and the the heart that fails to follow through ends up feeling like a war zone. But this series is about how to get stronger on the inside. And so I, I want to use this text today to talk to you about the limits to a loyal heart. The limits to a loyal heart. I don't know, have you ever like stopped short of a goal? We talked about failing to follow through. Have you ever stopped short of a goal? Of course you have. We're all human. And I, I could think of dozens of times, dozens of examples in my life where I've set out to do something only to, to fail in the process, but what fun would that be if I told you about those? I'd much rather talk about my kids. Because uh, they are an endless source of sermon material. And it's how they earn their keep around the house. My youngest son, Grant, he has taken up the saxophone. And uh, yes, he's not too bad. He's, I, I, I don't know if he's bad or not. But I can at least tell what he's trying to play. He's trying to play all these complex songs. He's trying to play the Imperial March from Star Wars. I don't know why he started with that one. But he's... You know, he's learning these songs and he's playing. And what's funny is, um, my middle son Oliver used to play the the trumpet. I say used to because it only lasted about three weeks in our house. And uh, he did that I don't know a couple years ago. And uh, in this the the course of like Grant learning to do the saxophone, it's interesting. Like he practices all the time. He he'll like go up to his room. Oliver never did that. Like like Oliver he would he would carry his trumpet and he would bring it home and he would take it from school. But I never saw that kid take it out except for like one time on the car ride home from school. He thought that would be the great opportunity to to practice. But uh, Grant was playing the saxophone he's practicing and Oliver starts trying to tell him how to practice. And keep in mind he's never played the saxophone. He barely played the trumpet. And Grant said... I'm not going to listen to you. You you play the trumpet for three weeks. You don't know what you're talking about. But in, in the course of this, it, it wasn't a lack of commitment. I mean, there was commitment involved because he would take the trumpet from home to school, from school to home. We, we were paying for this trumpet, whatever the, you know, rental cost was. There was commitment. But there wasn't consistency. And and, and maybe it was the conflict that was happening between my my two boys. It reminded me of the story because the the point in history we're jumping in, in this text, is a genesis, had his genesis moment in conflict. Now, I got to give you a little background here. And we're going to go through most of 2 Chronicles chapter 16. You understand, at this point in history, the kingdom of Israel is divided into two nations. There are two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom, which is made up of ten tribes. And then there is the southern kingdom made up of two tribes. Southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel. And the reason there was two kingdoms, two nations to begin with is all because of this one king, Rehoboam, who was... Solomon's son. He didn't listen to the wisdom of his father's advisors. He listened to his young, stupid friends, and it caused a rift among the people, and two nations resulted from this. If you study the the history of the, the kings in Israel, there were some good kings, but mostly bad kings. The northern kingdom of Israel, all of the kings were called wicked kings. None of them followed God. All of them followed idolatry. The southern kingdom of of Judah, they had about 18 generations of kings and eight of them were considered generally good. Asa is one of those kings. So keep in mind that the kingdom of Israel, he had started with King Saul and then there was David and the lineage of David is, is traced through Judah. So when Asa takes over the kingdom of Judah... It's a shell of its original splendor. It's a fraction of its size. The nation is vulnerable. There's political turmoil and unrest. Everybody's upset. They're always being attacked at the border because these borders were were never settled. So when, when Asa takes it over, it's not a good situation. But he does something that neither his father or his grandfather did. And it starts... His reign starts in 2 Chronicles 14. It says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. His father didn't do that. Rehoboam didn't do that. What did he do? Well, he removed foreign altars and high places. He smashed sacred stones. He cut down Asher poles. What it's saying is he, he got rid of idolatry. And he commanded Judah, that's the nation, to seek the Lord, the God of the answers, and to obey his laws and his commands. And as a result of all of this that he was doing... It says that the land was at peace, no one was at war with him during those years, the Lord gave him rest. So this would be the hallmark of Asa's reign, where there was a lot of turmoil, the borders were always in dispute, Asa's reign was marked by peace. Now I don't want to give you the wrong idea, it's not that nobody ever tried to attack him, he was often tried to attack, but anytime somebody would try to attack, he always told the nation, let's seek God. We need God's help because they were a small nation. And every time God would come through and he'd deliver them miraculously. This was the hallmark of his reign. But after 35 years, something happened. And I don't know when the shift happened exactly, but we see what the shift was. Because in chapter 16, something changes. He's attacked again, this time by the the northern king of Israel. His name is Basha. Say Basha, so I know you're with me. It's not a a good baby name, but it's fun to say. He was a wicked king. But Basha Basha's trying to to take out Judah. The way he tries to take out Judah is is at at the border. He, He wants to cut off their supply lines. He wants to build a beachhead at the trade route so that no one can get in and no one can get out. He's going to starve them out. He's going to overpower them. And Asa responds in a way he's never responded before. This is a problematic situation. On one hand, they're a smaller nation. Two tribes against 12. Or two tribes against 10. It's a much bigger nation. They don't have the resources. They they don't have the power. And if he doesn't act quickly, he's not going to have access to any resources at all. So he needs to do something. On top of... Basha being better funded, better resourced, bigger army, he also has an alliance with this king of Syria called Benadad. And this is where we're going to pick up the story where Judah is being attacked, being besieged at the border. And it says this in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 1 In the 36th year, the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah. And built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent it to ben king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. So picture this. Basha trying to attack. Asa doesn't know what to do. He says, oh, I can't overcome Basha. I'm going to try and make a partnership, make an alliance with his ally, the king of Syria. So he takes the treasure from God's house and sends it to Ben-Hadad. And he says, hey, let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I've sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. And so Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and he sent the captains and his armies against the cities of Israel. And when Basha sees what's happening, he withdraws. So Asa has this idea, this plan, this strategy. He puts it into action and it works. Now, here's what's crazy. What Asa did was successful. He saved Judah from imminent danger, imminent destruction. He saved Judah from from being starved out and overpowered. And anybody who would have been alive at this time would have seen this as a good thing. Anybody who would have been around would have seen this as the most obvious thing to do. Like if you are a king, part of your reign is called making alliances. When there is a battle, you are looking to survive. But God didn't see it that way. And so what happens next is God, God saw this as the beginning of his failure. So he sent a prophet to him to correct him and call him back to repentance. And it says in verse 7, At that time Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you've relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians in Lubum not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen referencing other times that have been attacked? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. But in this, you've done foolishly. And that's the context of this verse. In some ways, might be some of the saddest words in the Bible. That God wanted to work in your behalf. God was willing to work in your behalf. God was ready to work in your behalf. But you did something foolish. And I want to show you why that happened. And there's something that we can all learn from this. I'll move through these quickly. The first one is when we have misguided measures. What is the limit to a loyal heart? What is it that keeps our heart from being loyal to God? The first one is when we have misguided measures. Now, when I talk about misguided measures, I want you to understand that measurement in and of itself is not a bad thing. We're all driven by measure. Well, I say we all, most of us are driven by measurement. There's a few of you that... For whatever, you're not driven by measurement. Like you're able to just be delighted with yourself just because you were able to pick up a pumpkin spice latte on the way to church today. And I envy that about you, I do. But for the rest of us, measurement is how we know we're winning. We need to know where we're at on the, on the scale. And in this case, Asa had some misguided measures where he prioritized the victory over his values. And it's a trap that we can all easily fall into. See, measurement, I said, is how we know we're winning. And, and, and what we do is we look for things we can measure in order to create a sense of meaning in our lives. And maybe you've never thought of it this way before, but we measure all sorts of things. Like, you know, we might measure uh, how many letters are next to our name or what letters are next to our name. Or if we have a significant someone in our life. Or we want to measure the happiness of our kids or happiness of our grandkids or maybe we're measuring how many followers we have on social media or we might be measuring how much money is in our bank account or we might measure what our body fat percentage is or we might measure how many macros we've consumed today and I don't even know what a macro is I just know that people like to measure it but all of these different measurements are really just indicators of your values And the problem is if you have misguided measurements, you'll create superficial significance. And in Asa's case, his wrong values created an empty victory. He won the battle, but what did it cost him? Like you can win stuff, that sometimes to win it, you actually lost it. Like, have you ever won an argument only to realize that what you lost in the process wasn't worth it? So, <laughs> that's what misguided measurement is it's, it's winning at the wrong game, it's being good at something that isn't good for you. And in Ace's case, he, he won the battle, but it cost him something sacred. He took the treasure, the gold and silver, out of God's house and he gave it to someone else. And I don't even want to suggest that the problem was that he took the gold and silver. Because prior to, I'll give Asa a little bit of credit, like before he came on the scene, nobody was even worshiping God. Everybody was worshiping idols. So the fact that they have put some golden treasure in God's house is a credit to his leadership. Like he's got the nation serving God. See, see, the issue wasn't what he did with the treasure. The the problem was where he put his faith. He, he, He was trying to be so focused on the success of this victory. And what we need to understand is that God isn't impressed by your success as much as he's after your submission. That has to be the goal. And whenever you continue to allow something else to be the measure, this thing, that significance, this value, you'll end up with this next problem. And it's it's unchecked anger. Misguided measures lead to unchecked anger. Because look at what happens. Hanani brings this correction to Asa and in verse 10, It says, then Asa was angry with the seer, and he put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. He didn't like the rebuke, so he rebelled. And I want to teach you something about reactions like this, because usually the object of someone's anger isn't its origin. Notice this, where anger comes out isn't the same place that it comes from. Because the people are on the receiving end of his little temper tantrum, but the real issue, the real problem is his trust. See, underneath every reaction like this, there is a belief beneath every behavior. Asa is assaulting the people. He's oppressing the people, but his problem is he's angry with God. And I wanna say something to all the, the pastors that watch this, watch us online, all the, all the pastors that are connected to our ministry, staff people, this is something that's gonna be really helpful for you. Because what you need to know is that many times, if you're in ministry, you feel called to ministry in here, you ever think you're gonna go into ministry, many times when, when people... Even as a Christian, this is true. Sometimes when people are mad at you, they're not really mad at you. They're mad at God. Now, sometimes they are mad at you, and you just need to repent and apologize for that. But many times, if you're in ministry, you're past pastor, like people people will blame the church. They'll blame the pastor. Can you imagine anyone blaming a nice guy like me? sometimes people will blame the pastor they'll, they'll blame the staff person they'll, they'll blame the team member they'll blame the volunteer they'll, they'll blame the church but they're not really mad at the church they're mad at God but they can't see God they can see the church so they blame the church and, and many times people will like be pushing you away but they're not really pushing you away they're pushing God away but they can't push God away, so they push you away. Now, now let me make this applicable to everybody in the room. This is why when somebody rejects you, you can't take it personally. Because usually it's about what's going on in them. Now, that doesn't mean it's okay. I'm just trying to give you perspective and I'm using this to show you that Asa's reaction here. Was not to anything the people had done. His reaction is because he doesn't want to be found out. He doesn't want people to find out that he failed. So he reacts and responds with anger, and oftentimes our anger isn't really anger, it's the fact that we're afraid. We're afraid that somebody's gonna see the real us, see the issue that we're insecure about and so we try to deal with things at the level of their visibility instead of really addressing our vulnerability. We, we want to treat a symptom rather than deal with the source. And so what we do is this is what it looks like. We'll, we'll blow up and then we'll have to apologize and then we'll move on and then we'll blow up again and we'll apologize again and then we, we move on and then we'll blow up and This time we don't even bother apologizing because now it's just become a pattern in our lives. This is who we are. And I'm trying to help you see that God has better things in mind for you. The antidote for your anger is always truth. And it's gonna take you owning up to what's going on on the inside of you. See, whenever you're confronted with truth, you've got two options. You can receive it or you can resist it. And God, because he's gracious, he will continue to bring it before you and bring it before you and bring it before you so he can work it out of you. But God can't heal what you won't reveal. And and if, if you won't be honest about what's going on inside of you, this is why we need to talk about the last one. What limits a loyal heart? It's repeated resistance repeated resistance, it starts with misguided measures. It leads to unchecked anger. But if we never receive the truth of God's word, it results with repeated resistance. And I I need you to grasp what happens. Because in verse 11, this is the end of Asa's reign. 36 years, he had misguided measures. He didn't respond well to the correction. And as a result, says the events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with the disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, only from the physicians. It's a pattern now. He's become so defensive about the issue then now was literally dysfunctional. He can't move forward. But what I want you to grasp is that the issue is not really what happened to his feet. The issue is what happened to his heart. He moved from having a loyal heart. This guy who is generally considered a good king. For 35 years, the hallmark of his reign was peace. He moved from having a loyal heart to a hard heart, and I know we all have different things that we struggle with, I'm not here to put shame on anybody, but repeated resistance to God's correction will make it impossible for you to stand strong. See, God's correction is His mercy because God is more loyal to your future than you are. God knew you before you were born He knits you together in your mother's womb. He knows the plans that he has for you. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't forgotten you. And that's what I want you to hear today, that if God has been trying to deal with you about an issue in your life, it's because God's not through with you. But by repeatedly resisting, what we're doing is we're refusing the healing that God wants to bring in our lives. That's what this verse is implying. Look look at it again verse 12 says, "The 39th year of his reign Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians." In other words, God would have healed him if he would have sought the Lord. What's interesting is Asa's name means Position. It's a literal translation of his name. So a lot of scholars and theologians think that when the chronicler wrote this, they were making a pun. They're saying that even when things got bad, Asa never stopped looking to himself. He continued to look for himself, to look to himself to solve the problems instead of looking to God. Maybe that's what some of you have been doing with God. You're trying to solve your own struggles instead of going to the one who has the power to heal you. Fighting against your father because you're committed to what's comfortable, what's familiar. And if you repeatedly resist what God wants to bless you with, you will live with a limp like Asa instead of taking the opportunity to stand strong. So here is the word of the Lord for you today. Don't limit what God is looking for. Don't limit what God is looking for. God is looking for a loyal heart. He's looking for somebody who will continue to look for Him. That's the essence of this. It's not how well did you do? It's did you keep your trust in God? Did you continue to look to Him to be your help, to be your source? to be your strength. God's not through with you. Don't keep resisting His correction. He wants to work on your behalf. He wants to show Himself strong in your life. He he wants to fight your battles. He wants to be your defender. He wants to be your deliverer. He wants to establish your position and showcase His strength. He has called you to be built different. Not to get bent out of shape at the first sign of struggle. But to stand strong. So I want to encourage you to stop hanging on to a hard heart. And take the limits off your loyalty. T- take the limits off. Don't let those things get in the way.